The reason that I think that Matthew's Gospel is so important is because this is the shadow side. We are so immersed in the Lucan version of Christmas, and we've romanticized it, the Christmas card version. So it's a it's a kind of a Norman Rockwell Hallmark thing, <laughs> and the problem with that is that that invites those around the major for whom their life is really Norman Rockwell and Hallmark-like, and that isn't so for many, many people. You're listening to God Hears Her, a podcast for women where we explore the stunning truth that God hears you, He sees you, and He loves you because you are His. Find out how these realities free you today on God Hears Her. Welcome to God Hears Her. I'm Erin Atkins. And I'm Elisa Morgan. Christmas is coming up so soon. (laughs) While we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus, we want to look at what Scripture tells us a little differently. Today, we are talking with Kathleen McKinnis-Kickline, the author of Why These Women, about four unlikely women in the genealogy of Jesus. We're going to dive into learning about Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. And let's start out by talking about how we can prepare our hearts for the Christmas season during this conversation on God Hears Her. We are close to the Christmas season. You know, we are entering it. How do you prepare your heart for Christmas? I mean, besides the list, you know, besides the tree, besides the the shopping, you know, how do you prepare your heart? I prepare what you just said, which is besides all those things. I put aside those things. Mm. It's important for me because I can get stuck in the details or comparing what other households are doing, traditions are doing, what traditions we aren't. Maybe we should be doing something different. Mm-hmm. And I just focus and I pray and I ask Jesus, what do you want to teach me about who you are? Oh, gosh. We could talk about that for like an hour and a half here. So <laughs> yeah, right? That is so rich. <laughs> and, and I love that it. it's almost like you present yourself as a present to God during this Mm. season and ask him to open it to show Mm -hmm. you who you are and who he is. Well, we want to prepare ourselves as we embrace the season of the nativity. And we actually have a really kind of cool special guest who's going to help us think about just that. And Mm -hmm. Kathleen, welcome. And we're just excited to have you bring us into the nativity season. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. It's a different way to come into it. It's a little bit through the back door, so to speak. Mm -hmm. It seemed as though what Jesus was telling me was, go back to the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so I did. I mean, you open up the Bible and and you thumb through and you come to that page that says New Testament. And then you turn the page and it's the Gospel of Matthew and you start. And it's this this long series of begats, this genealogy of Matthew. It's, you know, it's definitely got skim written all over it. But yeah, I knew that yeah. in there was um, names of four women, which is quite startling. I mean, I knew they were there. I've worked in that field before. But this year, that was my invitation, was to go deeper and say, what does this have to tell you? That's a beautiful illustration, if you will, of what Aaron just shared about approaching Christmas, the nativity, opening and and saying, God, where do you want to show me about yourself? And he told you, Kathleen, go back to the beginning and you go to Matthew and he begins to show you. you. So let's follow God's lead in your Mm -hmm. life that Christmas. As we do that, can you give us a glimpse into who Kathleen 
has grown to be. You know, who were you originally? <laughs> you know, a- after several decades, who are you now? You know, oh my gosh. why is Kathleen yes. uniquely a person that God would woo to look at the genealogy of Jesus and go, notice the women. Notice the women. I I love that. And stories. I'm all about stories and women Mm. and God. Mm. I am the oldest of uh, seven sisters and one brother. That is a lot of estrogen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely was. <laughs> and um, I was blessed to grow up in a home that loved God. Mm-hmm. So I've been, God's stories have been a part of me from forever. Mm-hmm. Fell asleep imagining, Terry would say to me, Kathleen, talk me to sleep. And I would Aww. think things like, well, do you think Jesus ever caught colds when he was our age? You know, so there's always this wondering in my mind. Mm. This is authentically who I am. So it's not surprising I ended up getting into scripture and ministry and all that sort of thing. I'm semi-retired from but doing everything online now. And I love the scriptures. And so the stories of women in scripture, yes, pay attention. It's so revealing. Mm. And I was gifted with some questions as well. See, I think questions are ultimately our answers. <laughs> they just lead to more questions and, and they helped me to unpack what was there, specifically looking at these stories of women. I love that posture. I mean, you've been a teacher and you've been in ministry for a lot of years, a professor. And so God has really used that, I would imagine, in a very winsome way to give you a a comfortable way to connect with people. And I can also sense that God connected you to his word and to these poor women and the genealogy in a winsome way as well. And, you know, now that we know just a little bit about you, and we have much more we could know, but just a little bit about you, can you take us into what you discovered in, in these Christmas visits into Matthew? about these four women. Well, part of it was taking seriously the fact that they were there. This wasn't an accident. It wasn't an accident for me, and it wasn't an accident then. I already knew enough about these women because I'd done Bible studies about them to know that they have really juicy stories. It was (laughs) great. Tell us more. Oh, yeah, yeah. They are juicy stories. You know, most of us, when we read these stories, we're stunned. Yeah. to see them uh, in scripture. Yeah. This is not bedtime reading for kiddos. It's not at all. But <laughs> theologians will tell you that the reason Matthew put them in there is because they're all Gentiles. And this is, you know, the gospel's intended for all peoples. But I think there's a bit more. I would love to know why you think he included them besides the fact that they were not Jewish. Let me start with the most obvious one, which is I think not ever mentioned. I've heard it referred to one time. But what Matthew is going to do after he does all of these begats is he's going to introduce a stunning line wherein, and this is how the birth of Jesus came about. I mean, Mary is betrothed to Joseph, but before they had relations, Mary becomes pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Wow. Okay. So Matthew is writing to very Jewish readers who know their stories, they know these women on some level, let's assume. And what he is setting people up for is that God has acted before in extraordinary ways, even in the sexual realm, Mm. to all be about serving God's purpose. Mm. So I think he's, again, setting them up for this line that could be 
very difficult, I think, for Jewish people in his own time and space. We knew that know that the Gentiles around them had gods and goddesses who consorted with human beings and and had uh, demigods and things like that, which is all horrendous and idolatrous in the mind and the ears of the Jewish people. So this helps set that up. And you rarely hear that said. I think that is fascinating the way you just express that. I mean, when we read these stories, we think, why does God put these in Scripture? What do these stories reveal of his character? And then, Kathleen, you point out that the genealogy these four women mentioned each endured a sexual activity of some kind or had a sexual meaning in their relationships Mm -hmm. of some kind. And there's a contrast between what they went through and how God brings about the conception of his son. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about each one of them just a little bit and what the richness is of each one of them? Tamer is pretty remarkable. Like you say, it is the freakiest story. I'm Mm -hmm. trying to explain it. We don't have time. (laughs) Well, there's several Tamars in the Bible, but this is in Genesis 38. So we're going all the way back. We're going back 4,000 years and we're we're encountering some of the, but it's a period where it's really all about the patriarchal line. And Abraham has been promised offspring. And keeping alive the covenant means that these offspring from generation to generation will be provided. And Tamar is the one in this generation who makes that happen for one of Jacob's 12 sons, Judah. She is his daughter-in-law, and she is widowed twice to two of his sons. And he is obligated by the law to provide her with his third son. He won't do it or provide himself so that she will have offspring, so that the house of her dead husband will continue in the line of Abraham. He won't do it either, and he's kind of like tough noogies. Yeah. I'm not going to put anybody at risk, and he just hangs her out to dry. And it's hard for us to relate to that, but when we see that it's God's provision through the culture mm-hmm. of the time mm-hmm. to provide for Tamer, maybe it makes a little bit more sense. She gets very creative. Mm -hmm. Basically, she tricks Judah Mm -hmm. by pretending she's a prostitute. She gets pregnant. Judah becomes enraged that his daughter-in-law was an adulteress because she's Mm -hmm. still married to her dead spouse in Jewish eyes and wants her burned. But she has saved some mementos from the encounter, the receipts. (laughs) And Judah ends up saying, she was more righteous than I. And he comes to the moment of truth. And uh, he's a very different Judah in the story after that. Mm. The Judah who was, well, maybe let's not just, let's not kill Joseph, we'll just sell him, you know. And he has the same kind of treatment of his daughter-in-law. Afterwards, he returns to Jacob and he becomes a faithful big brother when Benjamin is at risk. So that's some of the things that happen because of her resourcefulness. Mm-hmm. And she's going to be revered by Israel. They are going to remember her. They're going to put her in the company of Rebecca. She becomes like a matriarch. In Ruth's story, she's going to be remembered when she has a child. And they say, may you be like Tamer. You know, may you have children. May you bring blessing to this house. So Tamer becomes a heroine in the eyes of the story of Israel. And it's just 
an odd way to get there unless yeah. you have the whole story. It is. And then we have a couple of others. What about Rahab? Well, much like I think Tamer is resourceful and has hope with Rahab, she has a quality of character of a discernment. So mm. what happens is the story of Exodus is Egypt and the time of the desert is bookended by Tamer's at one end. Mm. And Rahab is at the other. So they're coming back to the promised land. She is the one who Joshua's spies come to. She hides them from the king. She gives them good instructions. And she secures from them their promise that they will not destroy her when they destroy mm. the city. But in a heartbeat, she makes a choice for the God of Abraham. There's an interesting sign. She has heard of their God. We don't mm. totally know what that means, mm -hmm. but she and has, and yeah. How did she? You know, I mean, a brothel's a busy place. Maybe that's how she heard. I don't know, but she, you know, she makes this choice in a heartbeat. And you know, I think mm -hmm. in those moments, those hard, hard moments where everything's on the line, the barbarians at the gate, so to speak. Here, mm -hmm. she makes this decision. When you've got to make decision in a moment, and she did. She was able to do that. And she also is celebrated and remembered by Israel as kind of the midwife of Israel. She enacts, embodies what the women of Exodus had done. The uh, midwives, Shifra and Pua, mm -hmm. uh, Jochebed, who hid Moses in the bulrushes, and, and Rahab hides them on her roof under the linen. So she's honored for that reason. And we definitely deal with the fact that she is a prostitute. Yeah. <laughs> right. But it wasn't, she actually has no sexual encounter in the story. Right. But she brings sex into the story because of the fact that that is her profession. Right. Those circumstances, I mean, that time is really hard to even wrap our minds around when we look around and the days that we are living. How do you think a woman that's listening now can relate to these specific women. The gift she brings is the discernment mm -hmm. to listen to God in a moment of peril. Mm -hmm. What is of God? Who to trust and who not to trust and what to do and what not to do. Gosh, we're all wanting to learn that, aren't mm -hmm. we? Yeah. I don't think yeah, we think ever so. outgrow that desire. Mm -hmm. We've got Tamar who was incredibly creative and God honored her creativity. And we have Rahab who was very discerning and God met her in her discernment. Take us into the story of Ruth then. Oh, everybody loves Ruth. Mm -hmm. It's such a wonderful story <laughs> and how odd and unusual to have a story about women. We can access stories in a different way because the women are not a center stage. And so you begin to see different things. But in this story, they are center stage. Mm -hmm. There's a wonderful Hebrew word, hesed, for which there really is no English equivalent. Best we can call it is loving kindness. And when Ruth decides to throw in her lot with Naomi and says, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I shall live. Wherever you die, I will die. Mm -hmm. And your God will be my God too. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is stunning. And there is really no better example in all of the Hebrew scriptures of what the covenant actually looks like. Because Ruth has lost her husband, Naomi has lost her sons mm -hmm. in the patriarchal culture of needing men to provide for you. They are orphaned mm -hmm. and there's been a famine in the land and all this stuff has happened. And so Naomi 
wants to go home and Ruth chooses to go with her rather than stay in Moab, which was her heritage. So that's what those words mean. Your people will be my people. Your God God. will be my God. And each one of those, she kind of escalates how fully into this she is. Had she stayed in Moab, she could have remarried. Moabites were particularly looked down upon. There's structural prohibitions against accepting them into the community. But they are resourceful, the two of them together. Uh, Naomi has, she Mm. has knowledge and Ruth has strength. Mm. You know, Mm. she does what needs to be done. And Mm -hmm. then there's this encounter with Boaz, who is the the big man in town, and a good man, Mm -hmm. a good man. Mm -hmm. Goodness prevails. Mm -hmm. You know, they have a son. And like I say, the, the women of the town celebrate the fact that she is like Tamer. Mm. So, and of course, she's also, it's interesting at this point in, in the genealogy, she's a lot like what's going to happen with Mary and Joseph too, mm. because guess where it is? It's in Bethlehem. Yeah. And we have these two good men, Joseph and Boaz, who step into this woman's life and make a huge difference. That is so beautiful and rich. And there's one more that, that you're highlighting, and it's Bathsheba. And it's probably the one we, we know the story of the most. It's most familiar. You know, she was the wife of David's commander, Uriah. And David saw her and wanted her and messed up. You know, it's, it's one of the worst moments in David's life. And we, we kind of don't know what to think of Bathsheba. So, but yet she is in Jesus' genealogy. So what do you want us to see there? What has God shown you? Well, what's interesting specifically to the genealogy is she's called wife of Uriah. You know, she's not named. And this is this is the fascinating thing about her. She is remembered vastly differently than these other three women. Yeah. They are all celebrated. Bathsheba is not named. Yeah. It is as if she is the one who is at fault here. Hmm. And clearly she is not. Mm-hmm. I mean, later in the story, the prophet Nathan will come and confront David with his sinfulness. Mm-hmm. And he is very, very clear here in the story that the one at fault is David and that particular section ends with that the Lord was not pleased what Mm -hmm. David did was wrong Mm -hmm. was not pleased with what David had done so I mean this is a very important story to not mince words with what happened when sex happens with no possibility of no that is rape Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. there's that for starters then there is the cover-up, mm-hmm. the intrigue, and it's murder. Mm-hmm. And, and he got away with it. And poor Bathsheba, her world got upended in a matter of months, within nine months. The linchpin for me in this story is um, not just building up all these things that happen, but there's a line, and a lot has to do with which translation you look at. I particularly like the New International Version, that translation, where David, after the son that they had conceived, dies. As Nathan had foretold, David goes to Bathsheba, and it says he comforted his wife. Hmm. Bathsheba never had the opportunity to refuse him before he was her husband or as her husband. But anybody has a right to refuse to be comforted. After all that she had been through, and it goes back to Nathan's story, in the telling and her hearing this, because we have no reason to believe she knew what was going down Mm. until then. And then in the truly 
uh, sincere sorrow of David. She sees something that allows her to forgive and to build a new life and not continue to be a victim despite all the things that have happened to her. And that is an incredible thing. Kathleen, your real main point is that we need to read the four stories of these four women who are included in the genealogy of Jesus before we read the story of Jesus, because they open our eyes to God's work, to his faithful presence, even Mm -hmm. in the indescribably difficult to understand settings of each of these women. And they thread together into his provision, into his rescue, into his salvation, you know. And so when we read just the story of Jesus, which is awesome in itself, (laughs) you know, we get that. But the genealogy leads us by immersing us in the neediness of humankind, leads us to our need for salvation. You know, take us to why we should read the genealogy in, in Matthew. Why Matthew? as we prepare for the Christmas season. The reason that I think that Matthew's gospel is so important is because this is the shadow side. We are so immersed in the Lucan version of Christmas, and we've romanticized it, the Christmas card version. So it's a a kind of a Norman Rockwell Hallmark thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is that That invites those around the major for whom their life is really Norman Rockwell and Hallmark-like. And that isn't so for many, many people. What if the story were told instead, I'm going to read for a moment, of a father awakened by a nightmare to sit bolt upright in bed cold with fear, only it was no nightmare. It was warning and it was real and he knew because the angel had warned him before and could be trusted that evil, dangerous men were coming in search of him and his wife and his child, intent on murdering them in their beds. Mm -hmm. And he only had time to awaken them, gather a few things, flee into the night, guided by stars and perhaps more dreams. He leaned into the desert winds, looking over his shoulder and sheltering his family. So, I mean, it sets a whole different tone. It really does. And and I love the way you're differentiating. I mean, Luke's story is important, but what we're looking at in the genealogy that Matthew describes is the underbelly of the Christmas mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. You know, as Aaron and I were talking about opening the gift of Christmas <laughs> this year, what words would you share with women who are listening right now? in terms of how they can really utilize the genealogy story and these four women's stories in their preparation for Christmas? What would they do? I would hope for them that the takeaways are such that they recognize Jesus within the context of this whole long, you know, a genealogy says God prepared for this was preparing for this. And Jesus's story comes within a larger precursor story. And Jesus is very Jewish. He's formed by these. And we see this later in the Gospels. It shows up big time once we have this backstory in our head. And we have a Jesus who recognizes that the people he encounters, their backstory, how they're part of a connection to one another and to God's plan, and he totally respects that. We encounter Jesus, and we too are known to to him. I mean, I just, I like the Jesus, I love the Jesus that I encounter because I begin to see his 
brilliance, his genius at noticing and calling forth every individual. Mm. And a lot of that is informed by his knowing who he is and who he came from and how he was formed. I want to just, as, as we close, Kathleen, just read the first part of the genealogy from Matthew. This is from Matthew chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now we're going backwards all the way to Abraham. And now we move forward. Verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of Nishan, Nishan, the father of Solomon, Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. I love how Kathleen shows us how to look at the women in Jesus' genealogy by digging into their stories. She has great insight about how these four women impact the birth of Jesus. Well, before we go, be sure to check out our website to find a link for Kathleen's book, Why These Women, and to read our newest God Hears Her blog post. You can find that and more on our website at GodHearsHer.org. That's GodHearsHer.org. We also want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Make sure to keep an eye out for the next episode of Season 10 coming out January 1st. Thanks for joining us. And don't forget, God Hears You. He sees you, and he loves you because you are his. Today's episode was engineered by Ann Stevens and produced by Jade Gussman and Mary Jo Clark. We also want to thank Kat and Don for all their help and support. Thanks, everyone. God Hears Her is a production of Our Daily Bread Ministries.